Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Uh, today we're talking about Robert E. Peterson, the founder of the Peterson Publishing Company. Uh, you know his work, Hot Rod Magazine, which he started with like 200 bucks. And uh, just a real grassroots magazine that turned into an entire publishing empire. You know the Peterson Automotive Museum. We go there all the time. That's also him. This dude had an insane life. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, James is very jealous, and you're going to find out why. Welcome to the episode. Let's begin. Have you ever had Melinda's hot sauce? No. I've had anus destroyer hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> There, oh it's, from the, it's from the. It's from Ace Hardware. <laughs> it's so crazy that that is. It's a uh, suppository. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Yeah, right. The, the only right hot sauce the you eat backwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to me that that's like something that people seek out. Yeah. Where it's like ass blaster. Yeah, ass blaster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anus destroyer <laughs> yeah. hot sauce. Yeah, you get them at the gas station right next to like the Rhino Pills. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's our our dad's generation. Like the '90s was like like a dick measuring contest with hot sauce, and now it's like, oh, let's go for good flavors first, uh-huh. and then we'll make it hot because yeah. that's the easy mm-hmm. part. You know how Logan Paul started Prime Energy? Yeah, yeah. we're starting Donut Rhino Pills. <laughs> And it's a drink. It's called pills. <laughs> yeah, pills. <laughs> pills. Oh, hydration. rhino! A microbe rhino pills would be uh, sick. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> Donut gas station dick pills. <laughs> it's an IPA. <laughs> Man, yeah, it tastes like mangoes. It's really good. Mm-hmm. All right. June eleventh, nineteen ninety four. It's a cool evening on Los Angeles's Miracle Mile, the city's first shopping district designed with the automobile in mind. That night, as the people of LA traveled the roads under the haze and glow of the streetlights, a singular embodiment of the car and what it has meant to this sprawling metropolis 
is opening its doors. It's the opening night of the Peterson Automotive Museum, and Hollywood is out in full force. But it's not the celebrities we usually think of, it's the cars they drive. Included in this star-studded rotating display of 200 cars are Elvis's 1966 Mongrel T, Jean Harlow's 1932 Packard Phaeton, and a 1985 Lola IndyCar, and even a 1980 Volvo T40 DL that Gary Sowerby drove around the world in 74 days. 245. <laughs> None of this would have been possible without the charity and automotive passion of the museum's namesake, Robert E. Peterson. How did he turn his passion for hot riding into the modern car show? How did he, without a formal education, turn an eight-page, 25-cent magazine into one of the world's premier publishing companies? And how would he come to create an automotive mecca in the heart of Los Angeles? Today on Pass Gas, it's the story of Robert E. Peterson and the Peterson Automotive Museum. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about forts. You know, when I was a kid, uh, we made the Pinedale News. That was the dead end I the lived Pinedale on. Pinedale News. And there was about eight to ten kids, and we had we had to fill out pages. Whoa! Because um, someone just had gotten a word processor. <laughs> this was like ninety four or something, and we're like, oh, oh, "There's not enough news on Pinedale. What do you fill the pages well, with?" Well, that's and when so you start we, looking in people's windows, and you're like, "Oh, yes. Mister <laughs> Mister Smith and." Mrs. Smith and Robertson are oh, hanging no. out. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, we just, <laughs> instead of doing that, we just had bios on all the kids that lived on Pinedale. Whoa. And I found one when my friend Ryan got married a couple years ago. Oh, nice. And I read his bio, and it was like, all about magic cards, but it was like really kind of defensive. And it yeah. was like a lot of people will say that magic is lame and nerdy, but it's actually really cool. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to Pass Gas. This is uh, we're talking about the Pinedale news this week. Uh, we're going to talk about all about Joe's neighborhood at home. Uh, my name is Nolan Sykes. Cross from me. James Pumphrey. Hello. Well hydrated and ready to go. Hydrated up. And Joe Weber. I'm truly fired up to be here. <laughs> and this, yeah, this week we're talking about uh, Mr. Peterson, uh, the guy who I think started Hot Rod Magazine. Yeah. If you're not an LA native or have moved here, uh, the Peterson Museum is one of the best car museums in the world. Yeah. Maybe the best. Yeah. yeah probably. It's probably really best, cool. Yeah. If you ever visit LA, highly recommend it. Yes, absolutely. Anytime someone comes to LA, um, or like DMs me like, hey, I'm a big time car guy. I'm coming out to check the roads out that you guys always talk about. Anything else I should do here? I'm like, go to the Peterson, pay for the vault tour. It's worth yeah, it. Yeah, it's actually, it's free you still I think have to pay okay. for it. I'm not sure exactly. It's worth how it, works. whatever price it it's is. It's worth it. It's it's not super duper expensive, and you get to see like just some insane insane stuff. Uh, we've worked with the Peterson a lot actually. Um, we shoot there. We shoot there. A lot. We're also doing a merch collab. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I was just there looking for inspo. Hell yeah, dude. And guess what? What? I found it. <laughs> what if we had a shirt that was just like a pattern of the exterior of the building? <laughs> the building is super cool looking. Yeah. 
It's kind of a hot rod building. The building is kind of a hot rod, if you can imagine. <laughs> you can imagine a building being a custom car, then the Peterson is that building. It's like in uh, I Think You Should Leave when the spaceship is a giant motorcycle. The museum is just a giant <laughs> yeah. car. Kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, so, not like that at all. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. They got museums here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Robert Peterson, starting with his full name. Robert Einar Peterson, or Pete, as he was lovingly known, was born on September 10th, 1926 in East Los Angeles, California. <laughs> East L.A., baby. not a good date. East L.A., babe. <laughs> his mother, Bertha Putera Peterson, passed away from tuberculosis when he was a oh. child. Ooh. Pete spent a good chunk of his childhood riding shotgun with his father, Einar, as he traveled around California working for the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. L-A-D-W-P! Baby, shouts out. I get a, I get a letter from them uh, every about month. What? About what? Huh? Uh, they're like, hey, Well, they're man. asking for your signature. Yeah, they're like, hey, man, thanks for using all this water and electricity. <laughs> Here's how much you automatically paid. Yeah. Go to our website if you want to enroll in paperless. Oh, yeah. And then I think. And you never I, do. I'm like, I should do that. <laughs> I do that for everything I that love asks paperless. for I it. I have no idea how much money I'm spending. It's like 22 bucks. Yeah. I always go for paperless, but then I still get mail. What? What's up oh, with that? What's the deal? Okay, we got What's gotta, the deal? We need to What's storm the deal? LADWP. Yeah. No. <laughs> and get Joe to paperless. What are you, the Joker? Yeah. <laughs> when he was a teen... Pete and his father moved to Barstow, California. California? <laughs> Barstow, California. Uh, East Coast much? <laughs> After Einar bought a gas station slash garage. Nice. I want a gas station. In Barstow, at that time, there must have been nothing yeah. going on. Or maybe a lot. You know, sometimes cities change over time. It might have been a bustling little metropolis. Yeah. Could have, could have, would have. We and don't then, know. It was pre-meth. Uh, it was pre-meth. <laughs> it was probably Barstow was probably much different back then. <laughs> Pre-meth and all. <laughs> Pete spent countless hours learning to work on cars, trucks, and tractors, but started out with the menial tasks, okay? He later said that his father's philosophy was, quote, the way to learn how to work on cars is to start washing parts <laughs> and never stop. That is not bad advice. Yeah. You wash it, you're touching it, you're looking at yeah, it, you got yeah. time yeah. to think about, hey, sure. what does this do? Sure. Oh, here's a hole there. I bet a bolt goes through that. Mm -hmm. What would that bolt connect it to on that car? Man, kind of sick of washing this. <laughs> Can't wait till I'm done so I can go put it back on the Fair. car. Yeah. How am I going to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out that Einer was a genius. Unfortunately, though, this was something Pete didn't care for. And it wasn't until he moved on <laughs> to more skilled labor, such as tuning carburetors and welding, that his love for cars really kicked off. So, yeah. What? Washing a fuel pump isn't going to make you fall in love with it. Yeah. you got to work on it directly. Maybe. Well, for it says you. right here. That's one man's story. <laughs> After graduating from Barstow High School, go Cougars, Pete found himself back in Los Angeles. Because of World War II, professionals across the city were leaving their jobs for military service, creating opportunities for people like Pete who were too young to serve. 
Pete secured one of these jobs when he began working for MGM Studios as the president, (laughs) where he started out as a messenger and eventually worked his way up to the publicity office, where he fed information about the studio stars to gossip columnists. These people, publicity people, are ruthless. Anyway, I dig it. When he came of age, Pete enlisted in the Army Air Corps and served as an aerial reconnaissance photographer. That's sick. That's That's pretty sick. sick. However, Pete was stationed in Montana and never saw action. And the war drew to a close less than a year after Pete's 18th birthday. Oh, but man, did he learn how to use a camera? In the air. Yeah. yeah. After the war, Pete made a return to the publicity office at MGM before more experienced workers returning from their own military service flooded into the L.A. job market. As a result, Pete, like many others, was laid off. Oh, that's mm. bum. That's That's what? bum, dude. Bum. That's bomb. <laughs> bomb. That's bomb, dude. That's bomb, dude. In 1947, Pete and several others that had been laid off from MGM, including friend Bob Lindsay, two names, decided to partner up and get into the publicity business for themselves. They opened Hollywood Publicity Associates. One of the firm's first clients was Earl Madman oh, Munts. Oh, yeah. A man once described by writer Fred Gregory as. Quote, the original eccentric California car dealer. Muntz hired them to create a PR event connected with racing for his business. Fortunately for the firm, Pete, the resident car enthusiast, had just the idea. Pete's idea was a bold one, to put on a car show. But this wouldn't be just any car show, and certainly not the kind that displayed new cars like one might find at a dealership lot. Instead, This show would feature the fast, loud, and wildly customized cars from the burgeoning hot rod scene. The money made from the show would then be used to finance a Madman Munts drag strip. Hell yeah. Any other dealer might have scoffed at the idea, especially considering the negative reputation the hot rodding scene had at the time. But for the Madman, it was perfect. Mm. I'm mad. I'm mad. (laughs) I'm crazy. I'm mad. <laughs> hey, you want to buy a car from a guy who's insane? Yeah. <laughs> I'll write your contract on a piece of skin. <laughs> I keep all the cars underwater. I'll finance you, and by finance, I think it means shave my head. <laughs> I'll come over unannounced all the time because I have made up a relationship. I'll bully you. (laughs) Pete set to work immediately. One of his first steps was reaching out to Wally Parks. Wally was not only deeply involved in the hot rod scene, but was the general manager of the Southern California Timing Association, a sanctioning body for land speed races. Mm-hmm. Didn't they go to Wally Parks in um, American uh, Vacation? Wally World. Oh, okay. <laughs> At their first meeting, Pete explained the idea, <laughs> and Wally, who had long been considering hosting a car show himself to improve hot rodding's image, was in. With Wally on board, production for what would become widely accepted as the world's first hot rod show was soon underway, and not even a withdrawal for months over financial troubles would stop Pete from seeing it through. Wow, months, you bum. 
<laughs> While working on a pamphlet for the show, which was much harder back then, <laughs> <laughs> Pete and Lindsay had an idea for another promotional tool, and more importantly, hot rod culture itself. A little thing that they like to call a magazine. <laughs> The two of them each borrowed $200 from their parents, a uh, Nepo baby much, <laughs> and with a little cash float from the printer, the first 10,000 copies of the eight-page Hot Rod magazine were soon coming off the presses. Oh, so the, pr- the printing press was like, you can pay me later. Yeah, you can yeah. Pay me. Oh, ah, yeah. got it, got it, got it. All right, so we can make 10,000 copies of an eight-page magazine, or we can make 1,000 copies of an... Of a one-page magazine. <laughs> of an 80-page... Oh, whatever. <laughs> In January 1948, at only 21 years old, Pete arrived at the inaugural Hot Rod Exposition, an automotive equipment display event. Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, cha- I think they changed it to SEVA. <laughs> In tow were those first 10,000 copies of Hot Rod Magazine, which Pete sold on the sidewalk outside of the show for 25 cents each, which is kind of a lot. The show he helped create was a hit, and Hot Rod Magazine would soon be in the hands of enthusiasts nationwide. It's awesome. Wally Parks, uh, the trophy that they hand out when you win an NHRA uh, championship or event, it's called the Wally. It's named after him. Any relation? It's it's him. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's him. It's Wally Parks oh, and a giant. Is it uh, named after Wally Brando, Michael Sarah's character in the Twin Peaks reboot? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I'll have to look into that. Pete's footprint was it named after the Pixar movie? Is it Wall E W A L L E? It's every dra- it's every NHRA driver's uh, dream to win. A Wally. Eva. Yeah. <laughs> Pete's footprint on the automotive world grew between 1948 and 1950. Hot Rod was expanding rapidly, in no small part due to Pete and Lindsay's approach of selling the magazine directly to its audience. In a 1982 interview for People magazine, Pete said, quote, I would stand in the pits and shoot pictures during a race, and between heats, I would go up and sell copies in the stands. They also had crucial support from their friends in the hot rodding community, which Pete recounted in an interview on Car Crazy in the early 2000s. Quote, I had friends from all over that would go out and sell magazines for us, write stories. There were a lot of hot rod guys that pitched in and helped. Within the year, the magazine had a national distributor and had grown to include a second magazine, Motor Trend, which focused on new cars. But Pete was also making his mark beyond print. Inspired by the success of the Hot Rod Expo in L.A. earlier that year, he produced another car show in New York City, the International Motorsports Show, or as we now know it, the New York (laughs) Autos Show. Holy moly. By the end of 1949, Pete and Wally Parks founded... Bonneville Speed Week. What? And by 1950, Pete would be the number one automotive magazine publisher in the world. Wow. He's like 24. Yeah. That's insane, dude. Oh, my God. I'm oh a my loser. That is <laughs> <laughs> 24 years old, bro. Oh should have done more. This is crazy, dude. anything. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot 1950 also saw Pete's return to L.A. car shows, and on November 16th, he opened the Motorama Auto Show at the Shrine Convention Hall. This show was an expansion of sorts on the Hot Rod Expo from 1948 and the International Auto Show in New York with a stated purpose of, quote, exhibiting cars as points of interest, enthusiasm, history, and as forms of art. That's a little foreshadowing. The cars on display covered, as one promo put it, everything from Roadster to Rolls Royce for four days. Everything from modification and tuning vendors like Edelbrock and SoCal Speed Shop to motorcycle manufacturers and sellers like Indian and the Harley-Davidson Dealers Association of Southern California packed the convention halls. Even AAA and the California Highway Patrol were in on the action. Perhaps the most famous exhibit was the Circle of Champions, which featured numerous vehicles known for success in motorsport. The display included Johnny Parsons' 1950 Indy 500 winning car, Rolly Free's motorcycle land speed record breaking Vincent. That's oh, the man. one that the there's the picture of the guy like in a speedo just straight oh, out. Oh, wow. The SoCal Streamliner, the first 200-mile-per-hour hot rod, and Ab Jenkins' Mormon Meteor 3, a 1935 Duesenberg fitted with an aircraft engine for record-breaking speedruns at Bonneville. The Motorama was a huge success and was held annually through 1953 before becoming the International Motor Review at Motorama in 1954. Back to 1951, when Pete and Lindsay agreed to an amicable parting of ways. Pete later explained that the two settled the ownership of their publishing company over drinks in a Hollywood bar by writing the sum each person was willing to pay to buy the other out on a piece of paper with ownership automatically going to the highest bidder. Oh, that is amicable. I bet this was at Frank and Musso's. Yeah, Musso and Frank's. Oh, yeah. I always get that wrong. Yeah. Pete's $250,000 bid won the deal. And the entrepreneurial Pete, now barely entering his mid-20s, continued to prosper. Oh, my God. In 19, that's a lot of money back then, though. I know. A, when when me and my friends money. write numbers at the bar, they're like $1,500. Offering to buy each other's companies? Yeah, it just says <laughs> a fun thing. Okay. Yeah. In 1953, Pete's company added car craft and rod and customs. And by the wow. end of the 1950s, they were publishing non-automotive titles, like the magazine Guns and Ammo. Wow. Dude's loaded. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> this represented another subculture that Pete, an avid hunter and outdoorsman, 
and Gangster, who's from East LA, was part of. In 2010, Pete would even have a wing of the NRA's National Firearms Museum named after him. Oh. Wow. I had no idea. That's my favorite museum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a nice gun. It was around this time that Pete started doing what any wealthy gearhead does. He started collecting cars. I think even a poor gearhead does that, too. Yeah. I got, <laughs> dude, I, it's, I got a few cars now. Yeah. You got some good cars. I got one, two, three. You got three. Four. What's the fourth one? Tiguan. You still have the Tiguan? Yeah. It's nice because I chose two old European cars to yeah. like daily. Yeah. And uh, so it's nice to have a backup. Yeah. But Pete went one step further. He'd often pick his new cars up at the factory. Sick. Company representatives were often very eager to meet with the publishing car show tycoon. Enzo Ferrari himself gave Pete a demonstration of the California 250 Spider on the hills near the Ferrari Whoa, factory. That's, that's prestigious. That's oh, crazy. man, to be a fly on the wall of that oh, car. Man. Oh, man. man, if I oh. could just be a sneaky little infant hiding behind one of the seats. <laughs> oh, man, if I could be a little... <laughs> But with a man brain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I could remember. Yeah, it would be funny to like wish for that to happen. And then you're like, what? <laughs> Everything's so intense. I've never seen any of this before. <laughs> What's a car? <laughs> Another perhaps infamous incident occurred when he arrived in Germany to pick up his Mercedes 300S. Mm. In a 2006 interview with Motor Train Classic, Pete detailed how he went out partying with Mercedes executives. We had a few too many beers and spun the car out. <laughs> uh, uh, cool, man. <laughs> he was probably taken to jail by German authorities where he was forced to pay a fine for colliding with a tree before being let go. And they made him apologize to the tree. Yeah. Apologize to the tree. <laughs> Pete's life back home in L.A. was every bit as exciting as his wild times in Europe. Pete became a fixture of the Hollywood social scene during the 1950s and occasionally hosted parties at his hilltop home. Oh, man, to be a sneaky infant on those <laughs> parties with a man brain. <laughs> Including one with a notable morning after incident where his Mercedes 300 SL again was found floating in a neighbor's pool. I'm mad months. I keep the from his home. I keep the car in the pool. I keep, <laughs> I'm crazy as hell. I'm crazy as hell. Somebody help me. Yeah. I'm asking for help. This is how I ask for help. <laughs> Despite Pete's newfound wealth and celebrity friends, he remained genuine, gracious, and down to earth. Nolan, something to think huh? about. <laughs> something to think about, Nolan. People close to him have spoken very highly of his character over the years, describing him as a guy who, despite his wealth and stature, is just a regular guy. And that he remained humble and could laugh at himself. Trump. <laughs> his friend Bruce Meyer, who we've met a bunch of times, once said, he's a wonderful judge of people. No one I know has had so many 30 to 40-year-old friendships. In the early 1960s, Pete met... Margie McNally, oh, a model cute. and actress. 
He was immediately infatuated with her, so much so that he proposed on their first date. That's normal. To which she said yes. Whoa. In 1963, when Pete was 37 and Margie was 28, they were married. Together, they quickly built a life based around love, adventure, and friendships. By 1966, they had welcomed two sons, Bob and Richie, and the family was known to, quote, split their time between Beverly Hills, a mountain ranch, and a shorefront apartment in Newport Beach where they often entertained. That's fun. That's, that's a cool yeah. life. Well, they pro- the kids probably didn't go there. Yeah. To Newport? Yeah. You stay in the hills. The you stay in the hills with the nanny. Newport Beach. Friends, including actor Steve McQueen, uh, was in attendance of those parties. That's sick. They were also known for their love of travel, which included taking yearly safaris to Africa and India, as well as various trips for hunting and photography. I love when people say they love travel because it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's cool. It's awesome. It's like what you should be doing is, is that. In the fall of 1966, Pete expanded his business once again, launching Hot Rod Industry News, a trade magazine focused on the automotive performance business. To help launch the magazine, in a fashion similar to his launch of Hot Rod 18 years prior, he decided to host a trade show. Oh my God, are you serious? Just a few months later, in in January 1967, the first annual High Performance and Custom Trade Show now recognized as the SEMA Show was underway at Dodger Stadium. Whoa. Whoa. Hell yeah. It should dude. still be at Dodgers. That'd Stadium. be so cool. There's not nearly enough room. No. Gigi Carlton, Pete's longtime executive assistant and personal manager, said of the show in a 2022 interview with SEMA's Drew Harden, quote, People wanted to see the products they read about in Hot Rod. Touch it, feel it, and talk to the guy selling it or who invented it or made it happen. That's why people go to trade shows. Or in this case, why they went to this one. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You asked the freaking question. (laughs) By the mid-70s, Pete decided that he wanted to solidify his legacy. Inspired by the 27 years in automotive journalism, successful car shows, and of course the Hollywood scene, Pete wanted to establish a permanent showcase for vehicles featured in film and television. But first, he had to get his hands on these star cars. Pete turned to famed Hollywood car designer George Barris, Ah. who had designed cars like the Munster's Coach and the Batmobile from the Adam West era Batman series in the 60s. This guy's done a lot of stuff. Real star cars. Dragula. In the back of my Dragula. Married to my witch and I'm having wolf son and I'm... In June, we gotta talk to Rob Zombie. In June of 1975, <laughs> gotta talk to Rob. Gotta Zombie. talk to him. He's probably like, "Yeah, man, it's not that. It's it's hard. You yeah. you say you want to marry the vampire lady and have an alien yeah. cousin, but stuff gets complicated at haunted. We Thanksgiving. have talked to Rob Zombie. He owns a bunch of Porsches and. Has- <laughs> In June of 1975, the Hollywood Motorama Museum opened its doors to the public with an entry fee of $2.50 per adult. Promotional materials from the time labeled the museum as a place, quote, where the cars are the stars, and included vehicles like Barris's Batmobile and the Munster Coach, as well as the Green Hornet's Black Beauty, Bonnie and Clyde's Death Car, and the Beverly Hillbillies winning street drag racer. I think my favorite stock car from that list is the... Black Beauty. That's a sick. Whoa. Which is a car? Oh, the Green Hornet's Black Beauty. Yeah. Bonnie Clyde's death car is like kind of creepy. Yeah. 
Sadly, tragedy would befall the Peterson family in late December 1975 during a ski trip in the Rockies. The family had flown together to Denver, but then separated into two smaller planes with Pete and Margie in one plane and their sons Richie and Bob in another. When Pete and Margie arrived at their destination in Granby, Colorado, the second plane was nowhere to be seen. A search and rescue team was dispatched into the blizzard-like conditions to search for the aircraft, and it wasn't until two days later that a crash site was found. Investigators were later determined that everyone on board had died upon impact. Oh, my God. Richie and Bob were 9 and oh 10. Oh, man, that's so sad. Understandably, the loss had a profound impact on Pete and Margie. The two later spoke of an all-encompassing grief and questioned how they could ever confront it. Pete immersed himself in his work, and Margie turned to her Catholic faith. Perhaps most importantly, though, they found comfort in one another. As Margie told Fred Gregory in 1982, if we didn't have each other, I don't think that we would have made it. Pete also said in the same interview that he and Margie found comfort in speaking with other parents who had lost their children. Later in a 1995 LA Times article, he said he never really recovered from the incident, but it helped him grow as a person. Man, that's, that's rough. And you'd never get over it. No. As the Petersons made peace with tragedy, they began expanding their footprint across LA. Pete's growing collection of American Western art soon found a home in a gallery operated by the family on Rodeo Drive. Oh, man. Dude, I'm so jealous <laughs> of this guy. <laughs> in 1984, Pete's passion for firearms was recognized when he was asked to serve as the shooting sports commissioner for the Olympic Games in L.A. Nice. I love the L.A. Olympics and the Coliseum. Well, all that stuff I've that got born. great news for you, James. Yeah, I, like <laughs> I don't want it. To, I don't want to be here for it. Yeah, me neither. He and Margie even ventured into the restaurant business when they purchased Scandia. What? What? Yeah, tonk-ranking LA restaurant on Sunset Boulevard, which they ran from 1978 to 1985. Dang, dude. Yeah. These guys are LA, baby. Yeah. And then they had to they had the bright idea to start an observatory. Yeah. <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. They thought, hey, you know what this place needs? A bowl. <laughs> so they made the Hollywood Bowl. There's not any theaters here that are either man Chinese enough or Greek. <laughs> so one Saturday they started both. The Petersons all <laughs> they looked around and said, "Hey, you know what? They should make movies out here." <laughs> the Petersons also began to get more heavily involved in charities during this time period, including the Boys and Girls Club of Hollywood and the L.A. chapter of the Thalian Social Society, a group dedicated to raising money for the mental health center at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. That's Jeez. cool. That's nice. The couple also became more involved in the institutions run by the city of L.A., including the L.A. Library Commission, the L.A. County Museum of Art, the music center of L.A., and perhaps most important to the history of the automobile, the Los Angeles Museum of Natural History. Great museum. Why is that important for Yeah, I don't get that one. Is that a, like a funny misdirect? Well, as a member of the board of the directors for the L.A. Museum of Natural History, oh, yeah. P 
Pete had been helping the museum acquire a collection of cars significant ah. to the city, including those manufactured in L.A. at the dawn of the automobile age, as well as star cars like the ones from the Hollywood Motorama Museum, which had closed in the mid-80s due to its floor space constraints. Too many cars from stars in here. We, we need more space. We room for these. They got Starsky star and Hutch cars. over there. I saw a shooting star yesterday, last night. Oh, yeah. Nice. Made a wish. And it came Don't true because you're podcasting with us, baby. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. By the early 1990s, this collection had grown large enough that Pete began to consider persuading the Natural History Museum to open a dedicated automotive museum to permanently display the cars, and he had just the location in mind. (laughs) 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 While looking for a new space for his publishing operations in L.A., Pete had come across a vacant building on Wilshire Boulevard. The 300,000-square-foot space had been originally constructed in 1961 by the Cebu Department Store Company, who occupied the building until 1964. Cebu was soon replaced by Orbach's Department Store, who occupied the space until 1984, and since then, the building had sat vacant. While the space might not have brought much fortune to its former department store inhabitants, it seemed destined to hold the spirit of the automobile. In addition to its 1,000 parking space structure, the building itself was located fittingly on LA's Miracle Mile, California's first shopping district designed with the car in mind. One of the museum's design consultants, Alan Hess, even went so far to say that the location on Wilshire was, quote, hollowed ground and that it was, quote, where Los Angeles as a car city was born in a 1994 interview with the New York Times. Pete set to work, and with a bit of persuasion and a $15 million personal donation, the transformation from abandoned department store to automotive mecca was underway. The project was ambitious, and the museum, from the outset, was built to be more than, as curator Matt Roth told the LA Times in a 94 interview, quote, an indoor parking lot. Rather, the museum would be, quote, dedicated to explaining and presenting the history of the automobile and its impact on American life and culture, using Los Angeles as a prime example. What's up? I I automobile. Automobile. I'm sorry, dude. I'm, I think my brain got jumbled up a little bit at Bonneville, and that's why I'm in a good mood. Because you went so fast. Yeah, because the roll cage is is like a little small, yeah. and my helmet's a little too big for the car. So when I was going two hundred, when I was going not two hundred, one ninety three, my head was wobbling around. And now you're dumber, and ignorance is bliss. And so that's why you're happy. And I gotta tell you, Joe, it feels great. <laughs> I <laughs> wish I could get dumber. Yeah, sometimes I look around and I'm just like, man. I'm too smart. <laughs> I'm too smart. I wish I was so dumb. When the museum opened its doors on June 11th, 1994, there was a space for seemingly every kind of car imaginable in its three showcase floors. The museum, in addition to providing a new home for Hollywood star cars, displayed legendary race cars, hot rods, and exotics that function as much as art as they do speed machines. The museum also told the story of the car's role in Angelino's lives through dioramas and galleries, including shopping malls, drive-ins, and gas stations. The museum was a culmination of Pete's life to that point, from learning the mechanic trade from his father, to his job at MGM, to his love of hot rods, to his publishing career, and the endless auto shows, the images from his magazines that have been brought to life. All of it 
was on display in the heart of L.A. That's cool. Walking in L.A. Nobody walks in L.A. In December 1996, with an impressive business portfolio that had grown to include ammo manufacturing, what? a jet aircraft charter firm, what? a vineyard, what? a development business, what? oil, what? and fine art, <laughs> now aged 70, decided it was time to sell Peterson Publishing. The business he and Bob Lindsay had started nearly 50 years ago with just $400 and a little float from a printer. The business that began with a 25-cent eight-page magazine about a niche subculture that was sold in the stands at drag strips had grown into an empire. And it strikes back (laughs) every day. So many magazines. At the time of its $450 million sale, Peterson Publishing had a portfolio of 27 monthly magazines, 30 plus special issue magazines, and a total circulation of 43 million with an estimated yearly profit between 30 and $40 million. He sold it exactly the Yeah, right he time. sold it at, like, the peak. Perfect yeah. time. Yeah. Smart guy. Smart. Smart. Some of its more famous titles at the time of sale included Hot Rod, Motor Trend, Rod and Custom, Trend and Custom, Rod and Motor, (laughs) (laughs) Motorcycle, Photographic Magazine, Guns and Ammo, and Four-Wheel and Off-Road Magazine, and had even expanded to include magazines such as Teen and Nolan's favorite, Tiger Bee. Which member of One Direction am I? Let's take the quiz. Uh, Niles. Zane. Yeah, Nolan's Zane. I'm, I'm burfing. Burfin? Uh, Burfin. <laughs> Burfin Direction. Burfin is the drummer. Is he? I don't know. <laughs> There's a drummer. There's no drummer. I'm the drummer for One Direction. My name is Burfin. <laughs> Technically, for tax purposes, yeah. I am not in the band. Yeah. They crop me out of every photo. But yeah. I do tour. At the end of the 90s, Pete began a process of purchasing the Peterson Automotive Museum to rescue it from financial trouble, a problem largely believed to be a direct result of the Natural History Museum's lack of promotional budget. Although the negotiations initially stalled, dialogue resumed after the museum's potential closure was made public in 1999. The support Pete received to save the museum was, let's just say, overwhelming. He told the LA Times in a 2000 interview, I had letters from all over the country. It was fantastic. I had friends I hadn't heard from in years call and say, don't let the museum go under. And I made a promise that day. The two parties reached an agreement, and in March 2000, the LA County Board of Supervisors approved the transfer of museum operations to the newly established Peterson Automotive Museum Foundation, which continues to operate the museum to this day. Shouts to our boys over there. The agreement, including a $25 million gift from Pete and Margie, that would help bail the museum out of debt. 
Pete would carry on as museum supervisor and Margie would serve on the museum's new board of directors. Late into his life, Pete continued to take hunting, photography, and safari trips with Margie, and both remained active in charities. Pete also continued his involvement with the museum until his death on March 23, 2007, after a brief battle with neuroendocrine cancer. Upon his death, another donation was sent to the museum, as described in his will, and Margie asked people to donate to the museum or a charity instead of sending flowers. Oh, Robert E. Peterson, or Pete, will be forever remembered as an entrepreneurial force who was able to capture the excitement of car culture in images and words and bring it to readers nationwide. He built a publishing empire out of enthusiasm and passion, which is something that lives on in the automotive media today. His adoration for the automobile lives on at the Peterson Automotive Museum, a place where anyone with an infectious enthusiasm for cars can come and share in Pete's joy. The museum underwent an extensive $90 million renovation in 2015, and today it has several rotating exhibitions featuring a variety of cars, including a 1968 Porsche 907 race car, 1932 Ford Flathead Roadster Hot Rod, a 32 Deuce, a 2006 Saline S7. It's got, there's like a McLaren exhibit. There's a bunch yeah. of F1 cars down there. The Porsche exhibit Porsche itself is a right reason there, to go. right there, sick. And a DeLorean time machine from the Back to Future franchise. I think. And yeah. a gold DeLorean. A so gold-plated yeah. DeLorean. The That's only right. one that exists. Pete also lives on in the hearts of those he connected with, especially those in which he created those decades-long friendships for which he was so adoringly known for. Pete is remembered as someone who, despite his rapid rise to prominence and incredible successes, remained humble, kind, and charitable. Pete forever changed the face of car culture by establishing Hot Rod and left behind an incredible monument to the automobile. He helped popularize and perpetuate enthusiast culture by having an uncanny ability to make the reader or museum visitor feel part of it all. In doing so, he created the blueprint for what has made all forms of automotive media, whether it be Hot Rod or Motor Trend Magazine, Top Gear or Gran Turismo or even Donut, so special to so many people by making us feel like we're the ones there with the cars, with our friends, sharing the experience that we are all ones behind the wheel. We are all ones behind the wheel. We are all ones. We are all behind ones the wheel behind and steer. Uh, he seems like a really cool dude, dude. What a life. I'm so jelly. After reading episodes about like um, the dude who started Chevrolet, mm-hmm. it's cool to see like, oh, he, you know, he like, Made money right away and then just Wrote it pursued out. his yeah. passions from there. That's right. Soup's uh, cool, dude. Yeah. Soup's cool. Soup's cool museum. If you, again, if you guys come yeah. to LA, yeah. for real. Uh, it is very, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to like the Peterson Museum. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I try and go once or twice a year at least. I have like a thing where like I won't go for months. Yeah. And then. Just because of work, mm-hmm. I'll go five times in a month. Uh, yeah, for real. Shout out to our boy Lincoln over there. Oh, at Lincoln's the good. Yeah. Uh, Daniel. Oh, they out. also have a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Peterson podcast. Joe was on it. I was on it separately. Two separate uh I think it's called Car Stories. Called Car Stories. Yeah. So we were on separate episodes. So you can listen to both of those. Cool. And if Joe said anything weird, <laughs> uh, 
I don't align with him politically. <laughs> <laughs> but even if you don't, if you have, if you visit LA with people who are not car people, yeah, yeah. they love it. love it as well. It's so cool. It's, there's so much to see yeah. there. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh, and I went to their cafe, the Myers Manks Cafe. Uh, yeah. Bruce Myers. Bruce Myers. Good is breakfast in this. burrito. Is it? Yeah. I got a pastry and a coffee, but it's fancy there. Yeah. Nice. I, I didn't know it was so fancy. Oh. All right, we got some listener mail this week. Hey guys, I enjoy your show and Donut Media on YouTube. Thanks. I got a, I got a espresso shot yeah. of espresso, and they were, they gave me a chaser of uh, seltzer. Oh, that's wow. like they do in Italy. Nolan. Wow, do they give you a little orange peel or lemon no. peel? They no. give you tapas. They give you free no. tapas. No. Hmm. Hey guys, I enjoy your show and Donut Media on YouTube. Thanks. Thank Since you. you guys addressed the John Deere right to repair debacle, I was curious if anyone at Donut knew that 2023 marks 100 years of farm all and international. I grew up on a farm with these red tractors and would love an episode if possible. International versus John Deere, the red versus green. Thanks in advance, mm. Justin. I think that would be quite fascinating. Yeah. Tractors. Tractors. They're like the cars for the farm. They're called farm cars. They're farm I cars. I eat tractors. Get yes. with the probe. So thanks for your email, Justin. If you want to email us, uh, hit us up at pastgas at donamedia.com. My name, I've been Nolan. I've been James. And I've been Joe. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about the podcast. Pastgas number one automotive show. This has been Pass Gas Podcast. Now commence the rest of your life. <laughs>